0: Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters Masters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, For this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 in what I'm unofficially calling season 3 of Mixed Masters. I apologize for the big delays between episodes lately. Just know that things are starting to pick up in the music industry. And I've been pretty busy behind the scenes getting ready for some summer festivals and uh, all that fun stuff. So I really do hope to get to see a lot of you out and about while we're putting on shows uh, later this summer. My guest for today's episode, though, is Sean Daly, and Sean is a tour manager, a stage manager, an artist manager, and he's worked with a number of really uh, big groups, including Chai, which is an all-girl band from Japan. They've had a number of uh, U.S., European, Asian tours. He's worked with Steel Panther. He's worked with Amanda Blank. um, He's done some rapping for Sony engineering. Uh, He's worked with Fitz and the Tantrums. I'm trying to think of all the other ones, but suffice it to say, Sean has a ton of experience as a tour manager, and he's just a really fun guy. Speaking of fun, we did record this episode on April 20th, and I'm sure that a number of you listening probably know what April 20th means. So we had a little bit of uh, a good time riffing on the fact that we were doing this on 420. So enjoy this episode, stay tuned, stay safe, stay healthy, and I can't wait to see you all soon out and about. Hey everybody, welcome to Mix Masters Season 3. I am joined today by Sean Daly. And Sean, I met Sean while touring with Steel Panther. Uh, they were gracious enough to host Stitched Up Heart as their direct support slash opening act. And I really got to enjoy hanging out with Sean and learning a little bit about what he does. And I'm extremely excited for this episode because Sean is not primarily a front of house engineer, but is instead a tour manager. And yes. if you've listened to any of the uh, previous episodes, you've you've heard us go on about you know some front of house guys do double duty as a tour manager. Um, other guys are just tour managers or just front of house, but we'll talk to Sean about what he does and, and learn a little bit about him. So Sean, how are things? Hi, Steve. I'm oh, great.
1: I'm great. I'm hanging out uh, waiting for the uh, waiting for the road to come calling once again.
0: yeah you use you use a word that I love, which is the pandemic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah the pandemic the pan yeah I mean one of those things that uh, you know comes along once in a lifetime, hopefully.
0: <laughs> oh God, let's hope it's only once in a lifetime. oh
1: my God I don't think they're yes. can
0: endure another one.
1: <laughs> I know who even would have thought that we would come to this
0: yeah, surely not I but uh so uh I think you're out in the Washington area uh Seattle Redmond area if I remember.
1: Yep, yep. I'm in Seattle. Are you from um, that area? I am. I was born, raised here. And uh, yeah, went uh, briefly to a little college. And then uh, the music bug came calling. And uh, I took a journey out to South Bend, Indiana. And uh, then that just, that just gave me the whole music bug at that point. We, uh, we put together a band and we had a blast
0: you're you're sort of reading my mind because I I always like to start off my podcast learning a little bit about some of your history. Uh so specifically to that, let's take a couple of steps backwards. Yeah. How old were you when you got into music and did you gravitate towards an instrument right off the bat or you know what what got you interested in music? Um my mother put me in the
1: church choir and that turned into school choir and then You're the kid in high school choir and you meet up with some guys that have instruments. (laughs) And they, you know, ask you, Hey, you like heavy metal? And I said, Yeah, I love heavy metal. And then uh, you know, if you could hit the note, if you could sing Queen of the Reich, uh by Queen's Reich, if you could hit that high note, man, you were you were there. So (laughs) can you hit uh, that high note? I used to, Steve. Yeah. Oh my god, really? That high note, sure. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Jeff Tate, amazing. Yeah. So that's kind of where it all, where it all started. We had a band, we didn't have a bass player. And our first song that we did was Green Manalishi at the talent show. And we had two guys playing guitar drummer and
0: I was singing. Yeah. It was awesome. Awesome. Are you (laughs) primarily a Were you primarily a vocalist or did you ever pick up an an instrument at any point? Um, After
1: we did this sort of, half set Grateful Dead cover band and then we'd move into another half and we'd do all these other covers that were kind of hip to the time, The Alarm and U2, those kinds of things and some Ramones. Uh, We moved on and we went to Chicago and at that point I bought my first guitar. (laughs) I was
0: uh, 20 years old and uh, yeah,
1: bought an acoustic.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Did you sort of stick with it or was it just something you'd like to pluck around on?
1: Yeah, I didn't really have anybody to teach me much. So I just kind of did what I could, taught myself and, uh, you know, not very much, but (laughs) some.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I I picked up guitar really late in life. I tried actually at a younger age before the internet was really prevalent. (laughs) And I don't know if you ever messed around uh, in the earlier days of the internet, but like finding your first set of tablature online. <laughs> and you're like, oh man, this is going to be so easy. You know, they they tell you where to put your fingers, and it still didn't work for me.
1: <laughs> I was I was terribly lost. Um, and then this is skipping forward a little bit, but I was living with uh, Jennifer Batten, um, who was the guitarist for Michael Jackson at the time, and she of course was this guitar wizard, and she always had this sheet music everywhere, and I swear, I I was trying to absorb sheet music at that point and i still had no clue absolutely no clue
0: (laughs) i i admire people that can read music or even more so like look at a piece of sheet music and sort of know exactly how it's supposed to sound like i just i don't have that connection in my brain i know it just wouldn't it be wonderful (laughs) yes it it would be oh think of where i'd be in my career otherwise yeah yeah (laughs) so you, you uh You sort of alluded that you ended up out in South South Bend, Indiana. Uh, What took you out there and what were you doing out there as a musician?
1: Right. Um, My older brother was going to school at Notre Dame and I had a friend I went to high school with that was there and he had been in a band his freshman year and it was a blast. But all of these guys left for Chicago and there was a void. And he said, why don't you guys come out, we'll put a band together, we'll do the same thing and that's that's what happened and then we basically again did the same thing and went to Chicago just kind of you know found a house you know (laughs) just did the whole thing drove out there Um, we camped you know along the way we drive back home to Seattle um, kind of in between for like a few months Uh, I had a 51 Ford pickup truck and you know we we, I think we were running on maybe six cylinders by the time we hit the Columbia River. And we even had to stop and buy a couple of flashlights at a little stop and go kind of deli so we could duct tape those to the bumper. We lost the tail and we kept getting pulled over. So we duct taped some headlights, some flashlights to the to the bumper. and We put some wet, some red wax paper uh, with some rubber bands. And uh, anyway, it got us home.
0: Well, I I know about getting pulled over for not having lights. Uh, When we were on the tour with you guys, we got pulled over because our trailer didn't have taillights. And we'd made it like 80% of the way through the tour without them. And then somewhere in Indiana, of all places, I think it was that we got stopped.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, nothing worse than getting pulled over. You have no idea why.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't driving, so thankfully, but I was—I got woken up, you know, because I felt everything coming to a halt, and, and yes, you had the gr- the great Alan from Boise, Idaho, and that's my horrible Scottish accent. That- <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, enough about that. We'll we'll get yeah. into that in a minute. So, I know you as a tour manager, but have mm-hmm. you done anything else in the music industry besides, uh, you know, going from vocal, being a vocalist, and you know sorting things out in the midwest and and around and then you know jumping into tour management was there anything in between
1: yeah yeah so there there was the you know jumping in a van with your friends uh role, and then you just kind of went from there um at one point somebody was looking for a stage manager production assistant and i got the call and it worked out and that was a really great job probably one of my favorite jobs was working with this band, which was a small mini orchestra, I would say. Uh, it was called Pink Martini, and they're still around. They play a lot of shows. They, they took me around the world my first time and just opened my eyes, and it was amazing. And working with symphonies and, you know, orchestral musicians, and uh, uh, just it was a whole different kind of lifestyle uh, on the road hundred percent different than any rock and roll. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I imagine it was a a fairly decent sized production if they had a stage manager and then I'm assuming they had like a production manager and the tour manager and all that stuff. So I didn't really intend to go into stage management discussion, but what, what do you do as a stage manager in that sort of capacity?
1: So mostly you're interfacing with union crews in theater houses and a lot of other orchestral sometimes the the band is playing with actual orchestras and so you you're you're putting your band in front of an already established room full of you know uh um, outstanding fantastic musicians, and so it's kind of a new thing sometimes you know i I feel like we were touring at a time and joining up in these pop series when they were really trying to attract a whole new audience to the to the orchestra again. And so it was fun, but it was basically, you set up each position on the stage, you explain to the people where you, how you do it. And, you know, they've already seen your stage plot most of the time, even if it was five minutes prior <laughs> and uh, you know, they can digest that stuff in a hurry. And uh, you just make, make the day roll and, and, you know, get from A to Z and Hopefully have a
0: good day. Rinse, lather, repeat, do it in the next city tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. How long did you uh, stage manage for? Uh,
1: Around, let's see, about 2006 to 2008. Oh. Uh, Yeah. So somewhere in the middle of six and early eight.
0: I think I was working for a bank at that time, which was not as sexy or fun as being a stage manager touring the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're stage managing, and then did you take the next step into being like a production manager or into tour management, or how did you end up where you are today? Take us through that, ah. that sort of stretch.
1: So basically, when you're a, so this particular crew setup had people doing multiple hats. So some days you are doing things like calling the lights, you're queuing. When and who to pick up for a solo because you know the spotlight operator has never seen your show and you know they don't know the song, and you got to tell them that the trombone guy way over on stage left is about ready to walk up and do something, which he hasn't done the entire night. So uh you have to cue people in and you have to, you know, do it in a nice way. <laughs> and uh and so let's see, I lost my thought. Where were we? <laughs>
0: Uh, transitioning from stage management on.
1: So eventually I took on more responsibility, which was because the tour manager was also the production manager, and he was also trying to do uh, lights. And so I started doing a little bit more of the production, but generally this guy was just amazing. Charlie Bradshaw is his name, Uh, and easily showed me the ropes in a lot of ways. Um, And I owe him a lot on that. Uh, He's hyper-organized, just really had it well dialed in really really well oiled machine and um from there i just i just i was working as a promoter rep uh going to japan uh every summer to do this really big music festival called summer sonic and basically the lineup there is is anything you'd see at a a giant summer festival you'd have metallica daft punk queen uh beyonce rihanna and and then everybody else in between. And uh, I'd see them, I'd do that for a couple of weeks. It was uh, about 150 bands, uh, they transition overnight. And it's just this massive, massive undertaking. And I got to learn from that process and see how well that was dialed in. And it was just amazing to see how they could mirror one band's setup without even you know, because they're sending pictures over to the other city, and that crew's already re-imaging their setup for the band before they even get there, and it, so it's just amazing. And you can, you know, you can see all of the transportation coordinating going on. They're they're up all night. It's just it's wild, and and just so together, it's it blows your mind. And uh, anyway, I just started meeting a lot of people and started getting more work um with japanese bands coming to the us and so right around i think it was 2000 is when i started going out with this band called poly6 and they basically were on this record label that i was working at called tofu records and so i was kind of working at a record label and i got the tour manager job and I got that job basically because when I was 18, 19 years old, I had this previous experience of being a tour director, and I I would put on a suit and like like your banking job, and I had my little nameplate, and I would meet 46 people at the uh, Westin, not the Westin, the Sheraton Seattle, and we'd have this welcoming dinner, and there was this preset. Tour that we were going to go on through the Canadian Rockies. And there were people flying in from all over the US. And I basically would just I had this is this is you have to appreciate this because this is before cell phones. It's just barely in fax machine land. And we're still, I mean, I've got a three-ring binder that weighs probably 25 pounds. <laughs> and it's got a tab for every day of the tour and every mile marker. So if you wanted to stand up and just supply the busload of people with some random information, <laughs> you could. <laughs> uh, but that was just kind of the thing. And then, you know, you'd check in at the office, you know, on a payphone, phone. Uh, and they would send you faxes occasionally, you know, in the, if the hotel had a fax machine. So, I had this, anyway, I had this road and bus experience and this stuff and uh, they thought that was okay. <laughs> so <laughs> they put me out on the road on a van and, and trailer tour with these guys and it was a blast. They were the, basically the Japanese version of Devo is the easiest way to say it. And we did so many tours, so many. And, and then I was just kind of bouncing around and you know, you just kind of keep working that way. When you bounce around and you meet more bands and more people, and your people remember you, and you know, people give you a call. It's just kind of, you know, that's basically the way it is. You know, if you want to get in this business, you find somebody who's doing it, and uh, you know, try to shadow them around a little
0: while. <laughs> yeah, try to insert yourself into a, a role somewhere, and then go from there.
1: Yeah try to see what it's all about.
0: I can't imagine how difficult it was to tour manage during those earlier days. And I guess this is a nice sort of segue into what you do as a tour manager. Uh, Before I ask a question, can you talk a little bit about what you're expected to do as a tour manager today? So for the case in point, let's use like Steel Panther as an example, because that's my point of reference but yeah how do you go about setting up uh, a tour for a band um what are what are the things you're primarily responsible for what are you focusing on what can't you screw up uh yeah yeah yeah, that's a question for me because i screw up a lot of things i don't know what to watch out for
1: (laughs) no way i don't believe it no no yeah um tour manager land what is it what's the job um so it's, there's a lot of different things in tour management mostly because you're the central figure in the whole scheme of things i guess and mostly because you're the guy who's keeping track of what the schedule is where everybody's going to be you're sort of like an oracle you're, you 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 know where you you know what company the lights are from and the, you know just all the random little tidbits that people want to come up and ask a quick question. They pop their head into your office and they magically think that it's, you're going to be able to roll it off your tongue. (laughs) So you try to, you try to, you know, basically digest all those things and you keep, you keep the flow and the, you're, you're an accountant, you're, you're a ticket counter. You, uh, You know, there's so many different things to to really keep track of. And then, of course, you've got support people, you know, with travel and, you know, your hotels and this kind of stuff. But, you know, you're generally just doing a lot of checkup on, is that right? Is this right? You know, know, what keeps me awake at night is the stuff I can't control, you know, Um, flight delays, ferry cancellations, something, the bus breaks down, you know. You know, and you just can't do anything.
0: Yeah, I'm knocking on wood because I don't think any of us had any issues with vehicles on our tour in 2019. So, you know, let's continue that good streak where everything exactly. was uh, functional and, and behaving. Yeah. So are you uh, in your capacity as tour manager, uh, maybe not for Steel Panther, but for other bands, are you uh, mapping out like the route that that the bus driver is going to take where your scheduled stops are? Um, You know, are you following up on advances for equipment and we can talk about some of that in more detail because sure. But yeah, just sort of trying to set, set some direction here.
1: Yeah. Okay. So when I get a tour put into my lap when someone says hey Sean do you want to you know are you available for May and then we just kind of go through the list of you know who's got the booking who's got the you know who's got the credit cards first of all (laughs) where how are we going to get all this stuff paid for so who's got that Um, uh, you know are we going to issue the tour manager card for the tour so that I don't have to you know, deal with all the nonsense that happens when the card number doesn't match when you get to the front of the hotel desk. I mean, you, there's all these things that you really want to, you know, go go well, go smooth. And so you want to do these small things that'll help you get there. Um, sometimes bands have a manager and you have to interface with the manager or managers, plural. Those, you know, experiences can be from the helicopter manager who's there all day everywhere you go to the absent manager who you can't reach and you you know you don't know what's going on you know so uh that's kind of a big thing too you you get to understand and you get to know what it is that you personally need to be successful at your job and if you feel that the manager or management or somebody along the line isn't you know, maybe what you feel comfortable with that you can do a good job. Um, You you can't, sometimes you just can't take the job, but you just try to prepare yourself anyway, to do the same thing each time. And so you get your set of shows from the uh, booking agent and that pretty much is your uh, constellation in the, in the map of things. And from there, you try to figure out what happens in the gaps because that's that's the important part that's not nobody's really decided, talked about. Sometimes there are. sometimes people will have you know well, we're going to my grandma's house, so we do that every year, you know, you know okay, good. Gotcha. I didn't know that. So those, those are the things that you kind of have to get a little more uh, personally involved in with the planning. Sometimes bands will have their favorite hotels in cities and so you just want to make sure that you, you're there, you know. Uh, but these are the things that you kind of have to ask up front uh when you're getting into the early part of the things you know how much can they afford for a hotel room um how many rooms are we getting um and you just start getting into the nitty-gritty and the you know the transportation configuration is big too getting things booked have is it booked you know sometimes they book them before you are hired and other times they're not and uh so that makes you know a lot of difference when you're you're booking hotels because you have to have parking or sometimes a bus and that doesn't work everywhere so yeah Uh, and you just start putting the pieces together really you develop your contacts list for all the main figures with the booking agent the management uh, business manager uh, where the money's coming from and yeah and you just start going through all of the daily schedule stuff, you know, does the band like to uh, do interviews before um, the show? And if so, how many hours before, Uh, how many, is there a quiet hour for them, two hours, you know, before the show? Uh, Some people like to talk right up until they gotta go. Uh, So, it, you know, it just depends on who you are and who they are. And so you start, you know, trying to get into some of the smaller things, Uh, what do they like to eat? You you know, their backstage food, you do all those things to try to make sure that they've got all the things that they need to do their job. And when they're happy, they do their job well. And that's the whole idea, because when you see a band and they're kicking ass, you know, that's why more people buy a ticket again. And that's, that's what it's all about. How many tickets? Yeah.
0: Well, and I do want to talk about the ticket counter statement from earlier, but I want to go back Mm -hmm. uh, just one little detail so when you hire like a, a bus company, are they responsible for determining, you know, where you need to exit? Like do you have to go to that level of detail on the tour? Cause I think a lot of people take that for granted. You know, I certainly did on our tour because Decker was our tour manager and and he had everything planned out. But now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, how did we know exactly that there was going to be an exit? You know, when we were to the point of needing to refuel or whatever. Is that stuff that you have to deal with by chance?
1: No, I mostly the bus driver. The bus is his kingdom. I give him, you know, now we have the app, so that's fantastic. I don't have to sit there and make Excel sheets and printouts and all that stuff down at Kinkos anymore. And uh Master Tour, there everybody's on it. It shows when we're leaving, uh, when I expect to get there. My conversation with the bus driver is, you know, is this accurate? Is this time is my timing accurate? And they usually will tell you whether or not it's two hours too slow If you know if it is and so then then he'll let you know we're gonna when we're gonna arrive and so that's the point where that's that little that's that little weird spot in the day with a bus when you know some bands will sit in a walmart uh some bands want to wake up and look out the window and see a starbucks uh some bands don't care frankly and so uh that's part of it too so for example steel panther likes to be at a walmart for various reasons i mean and and pretty much because walmart has various things right they have almost everything and usually there's a mall and you know there's something else nearby like a home depot you know just there's just stuff and people always seem to need stuff at some point on the road so
0: yeah, it's it's funny how much stuff you lose or forget or need once you get out there, yeah that was a big eye opener for me. um, how do you handle things like crossing the border because uh that was another thing I didn't really appreciate was you know how long it takes to cross the border sometimes, and what does that do to your schedule like well, how do you generally approach international crossings like let's say u s into Canada and vice versa,
1: yeah. So Canada has long been this thing, yeah, I think people tend to just not really make uh, the the proper effort toward, because they think it's just gonna be, well, we're just right there. And, And essentially, all you really need to do for Canada is once you get there, you just need to have all your paperwork in order and everybody's passport, everything filled out, you know, print everything out, you know, the, the vehicle, uh, VIN number, license plate year, make model color. I mean, every, you know, down to whatever you want, the more paperwork you give them, uh, the happier they are. That's been my experience every time. So, you know, as long as you've got printouts, you've got your, uh, you've got your letter from Canada, uh, from the promoter, and that's going to, that tells the border people where you're going and you, you know, you list where your show is, you show them your, uh, your schedule and, uh, you don't do anything funky to jeopardize, um, your touring in Canada. You don't try to have a little event at a record store where you're selling a bunch of stuff and then, you know, just selling tickets for, and, you, you know, just stuff you don't want to do. Um, just stick with the program, stick with the plan and rinse and repeat. Yeah.
0: It's my favorite saying about being on tour is hurry up and wait and then rinse, lather, repeat, you know, because it's like you master those two things and you're pretty much going to enjoy yourself. Yeah.
1: I mean, international touring, the the, the hardest part is probably the Carnet and just making sure that all of your equipment's covered and that you get it stamped on your way in, on your way out of each border crossing, you know, and as long as everybody has the proper immunizations even, Uh, you know, you're going to Brazil, there's, there's two immunizations you're going to have to get just to go there. And, you know, just, just everybody has their up-to-date stuff and make sure that, you know, if somebody's passport is going to be, you know, expiring soon, and it's somebody on the tour, you know, you just kind of make sure they're they're in the process, you know, get it done, you know.
0: Talking about Brazil, I want to talk about fly dates in a minute, but uh, let's, let's stay on uh, sort of uh, US, Canada type of shows here. So, You get to the venue. The bus arrives safely on time. Everybody got to refresh their stock of whatever at Walmart, (laughs) you know, all that fun stuff. You're at the venue now. Now, how does your day unfold?
1: Yeah. So then it's like the ants and we all spread out and everybody's got something that they're wheeling in, you know, some small piece of luggage. Myself, I head up with the promoter rep or the building rep, we directly go to the dressing rooms and usually the band is right behind me. Um, Sometimes they're not, but usually they are. And we immediately get up there, we assess the rooms. Despite the fact that they send me pictures and descriptions, it's never quite right. And so you have to take a look when you get there. And at that point, everybody gets a room assignment one way or another, and you set up your shop and your desk and, you know, I, I basically carry a, a Canon IP uh, 110 and I carry a scanner, like a big full one. I don't think I have to take those around anymore, but I just, I like them. I, I haven't gotten used to the phone yet with the little PDF app. I don't know. Maybe I will, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And so at that point, I'm set up, I'm ready to go. I'm starting to look at my guest list. I'm starting to see where we are. Um, I'm looking for food in about thirty minutes from there, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I'm just interfacing with the promoter rep all day on on everything from how many towels I need to how many, you know, towels and water. How is the catering? Uh, you know, what do you need? You know, meal by with the opening band. Uh, you know, yeah, the opening bands are going to arrive at some point, right? You're just going to kind of show them where they're at if you want to, you know.
0: Sometimes not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you? So I, I stole a page out of your book. I bought a portable printer also because I saw you had that on tour, and I was like, I don't know if I'll ever need this, but it's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. Are you printing signage for the event then? Also, like, are you are you the guy who puts up like? catering this way restrooms that way like put the names on the dressing rooms and stuff or is that the venue
1: yeah i the venues are really good about putting up their general signage for all their the usual stuff and then all i'm doing is just the the doors for the artists that's pretty much it there and then i'm printing out a set list from the night before and so the guys can look at it um see if they want to amend adjust, do whatever And then I start getting into, if we have per diems coming up, I start counting all that out for how many people are on the tour. And we, you know, go down there get signatures from everybody, Uh, distribute that kind of thing, Uh, start making phone calls for the hotels that are a few days away, Uh, making sure that everything's right. Uh, Making sure my bus can be parked. Uh, That's one, you know, it's probably the worst thing about bus touring is bus parking. So
0: <laughs> it, look, it looks good, but I mean, well, oh my God. Do you remember that venue I, uh, where, I can't remember what city it was in now, where it was a one-way street that had construction and we had to back the bus and trailer down this like already narrow one-way street and then make like a hard right into the back of the venue and oh, I can't remember. I wish I could remember. But anyways, yeah, maneuvering a bus in a lot of those cities is not good times. It's not. Uh, oh, it, man.
1: It's, you know, and you got to give those guys credit because, you know, to your point, that was, that was exceptional, exceptional driving. Uh, yeah, it really was. Uh, and, you know, those guys, they make their money sometimes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think every time. Like I can yeah.
0: back up a trailer, but not with a, you know, 50 foot bus and and all that fun. And then our our backup camera quit working about three quarters of the way through the tour. So, you know, try backing up a motorhome with no camera and you know you're able to see just barely anything. So yeah. Wow. Hats off to those
1: guys. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah.
0: Are you, so for, I want to take a little tangent here. Are you advancing anything as part of your duties as a tour manager as well? So like making sure that they have enough dressing rooms and they have enough of whatever you need or parking space and, and things like that. Can you talk about that? Yeah. That responsibility and what that looks like?
1: Yeah. That's a really unique kind of phone call. You're going to, you're going to try to do the same thing right <laughs> every time you make this call every time you are emailing or calling it's it's the same thing that you're trying to accomplish at each show but it's amazing how diverse this becomes <laughs> so uh, you know you have to understand that there's going to be so many variations of basically will they be catering or do you have are you cooking on site are you providing food or what, what do you, what's your house policy? What are we doing for food? And then, you know, how many dressing rooms do you have? Uh, you know, and, and this is after you get through the bus parking in the stage and the sound and the lights are pretty much over in the production manager's department. I don't have to deal with that, but uh, you know, then I have to I know things like locally. I need to know some band members. They want to go work out. So you want to see if the venue has an affiliation with the local gym. So you can maybe get a free pass because that's the other thing you always want to check and do is if anybody has an affiliation with something, then they have a discount. Well, you want to utilize that discount. So it's always good to ask through the venue, through the promoter. And, um, you basically, you're, you're just you're giving a systems check on the whole show, uh, what what how many people do you expect uh what you walk up like on a typical night you know if you're you know if you're playing on a wednesday you know has your band played there before what was the walk-up like you know just just things that you want to find out from maybe locally uh what you can expect um you know you want to know how far is it to the bus from the backstage door how long will it take if you need to go and get something um you want to you want to talk about uh how many security people are gonna be on staff. And then of course, you know, there's the whole day of show thing where you eventually will be meeting all of those security people, or maybe just the head of security. And at that point, you're you're also going to talk about, you know, you're just gonna give them the rundown of what your show is all about so they can give their security personnel kind of a greater understanding of what to expect from the audience um, and, and what to expect from the band. But um, back to advancing, you're, you're just trying to get all of your tour things situated within each show. So if you have to have money, uh, if you need cash, you got to give those people some time uh, to prepare the venue to have that kind of cash on hand. And so you're going to want to know that, you know, every so often in your tour, you're going to have to take on cash every now and again. Not a lot. You don't have to go crazy. And frankly, if you're uncomfortable with it, you can just take a little bit at every stop if you want, but that's just another thing you have to organize in every city. So, you know, the advanced thing is just like this whole, if they have questions for you, you know, what, what are you gonna do with this? What are you gonna do with that? You know, and sometimes you don't know the answer because the it's not a normal thing, uh, but generally it's it's just questions about the band, the show the timing of the show, the opening of, you know, the, the doors and the, uh, you know, well, we get our people in quick over here. And you're like, are you sure you can get this done in a half an hour? And you're like, they're like we can do it. I'll show you. We open up six gates, two over here, two over here, two behind me. And, you know, and they start explaining to you, you know, how they're going to make it all happen. And that's, you know, just, just basically the whole rundown of the job. I know I'm probably not, I'm probably oversimplifying, but um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. People show up to do podcasts in the, in the backstage areas now, you know, with just their iPhone. So you got, sometimes you got some kids coming in from the college that are going to sit down with the band. And sometimes that's really cool. And sometimes it's really, uh, amateur, which is expected, but at the same time, you're just, you're not ready. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And in, you know, merchandise sales, uh, you know, how big is the merch space, uh, can I have my own merch seller? I have a tour seller. And sometimes they won't even let you use your own tour seller because, you know, they're always thinking there's something going on back there. So they're not getting their money. And so sometimes you can either force the point or not depends on who you are. Uh, it's really all about your band and the the legacy of the band and the relationship with the venue. And sometimes it's just corporate and you can't get, can't do anything. Can't get around it. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, and then there's, the whole thing about basically you can't let anything get past you. Um, if the show is just happens to be a half an hour later in St. Louis this time around and you didn't really tell anybody it's in the booklet but or it's in at the booklet but it's in the app. <laughs> uh, you know you just didn't give, it, give anybody a heads up you know, a couple of days out. Uh, sometimes those small little hiccups can set you know because people are very routine uh, driven and so if you change that routine, you've got to give people a heads up. Uh, it just, it works so much better that way because there's so many things that you can't control that sometimes giving somebody just a little heads up every now and again on, on the little changes in the daily routine. Um, it just really, really helps.
0: No it routine is critical. And I know like speaking from experience, if we didn't load in by three o'clock as the opener for you guys, I was, it sort of turned my world upside down. I was, if we were, you know, loading in at four, now my whole day just got compressed, you know, because I was used to always getting there at three, pushing in, you know, getting everything set up. And so, yeah, routine is super critical. So I, I completely appreciate that. When you were talking about the merch and the ticket sales and and sort of bringing this back to your earlier statement about sometimes you're a ticket counter is that part of the settlement with the, with the promoter in the venue? So like your, how are you verifying numbers and making sure that they're not trying to pull something over on you or, you know, something isn't, hasn't been understated or overstated. Like, how do you, how are you yeah. sort of like auditing that if you will?
1: Yeah. Um, to be honest, a lot of this stuff that happened before it, it's, it's pretty well buttoned up in, in today's world. So you know, you're given a, a set capacity uh, that's been basically okayed by your booking agent. And then you basically have those number of tickets at this specified number, you know, and there's all those graduating uh, places too where you have really expensive, small number of really expensive seats and then so on and so forth all the way up to GA. So you you basically, you see the numbers right in front of you, what the number is going to be before you even get there, you know what the number is at sellout. So the main thing is, can, you know, you you have, everything's basically scanned and so you can, you're you're given a ticket audit so that you can see how many people came in and at what price. I don't really know anything other than that when it comes to tickets these days. So, I mean, it gets more complicated in some places where they're selling them and at outlets and you're, you're, you have to gather in all this information that's not actually available to you on the night of the show, but venues generally um, and promoters, generally speaking, they have a relationship with booking agents. And, you know, if there's any kind of foul play going on, well, those booking agents are going to go to another building. There are some of those instances where they are the only game in town and they will do what they do, but we're talking, setting a cap number with a building and then giving that number to a booking agent where the booking agent doesn't have any say in that either and then say for example well then the venue might have a hundred tickets you know that they're able to sift out you know but nobody really wants to admit to that and that's generally I would say 99.9 of the time that doesn't happen you know it's just occasionally
0: (laughs) you know if you look out at the venue and it, it's packed and the promoter tries to tell you, oh, we only sold one third of the, the cap, then you, you have to have that talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and those aren't, those aren't pleasant. And generally speaking, and I use that phrase quite a bit in this podcast, but uh, there's because there's all these nuances to speaking with people, right? You can't, you can't possibly understand how to talk to all of these different kinds of people that you encounter along the road. Some people are just way too hot. You know, there's some people that are way too cold, you know, and you you have to really find your way in to get to these people's brains, to get them to do things sometimes, or to get them to understand your point. And, you know, at times you can have some, what I like to call robust conversations. And it's not that you're trying to, be a jerk or anything because what i've learned about this job is that being a jerk or getting angry or yelling you're not going to get anywhere and the show's the show this it's still the same show uh it's just you're different and so it, it hasn't changed the damn thing so what you have to do is remember every day just have yourself a great day and you're gonna have to deal with some people sometimes but that's kind of the way it is you know you just have to deal with
0: people yeah, you can't make everybody happy all of the time otherwise you'll make yourself miserable and you'll yeah. fail. So, it's Yeah. A, uh okay, so the show has come to an end and uh and not I mean the the theoretical show. Yeah. yeah. Thank you Cincinnati. Thank Good you. night. you've got it you are a vocalist (laughs) when michael starr can't uh can't perform tonight we're we're throwing you out there
1: that guy's amazing i don't don't have that guy's chops but oh there's all the guys
0: are great i was so (laughs) lucky to be on that tour again thank you oh man but so that the the show has come to an end now what are you responsible for uh obviously there's bus call and there's making sure that you settle out with merch and all that fun stuff but what's the extent of your responsibility at the end of the night
1: Mm. Well, you're checking in on your artist, number one, uh, because really that's what you're there for. I mean, especially if you have a production manager, if you're not wearing several hats and you just have the role of tour manager and it's basically, let's face it, it's tour manager accountant and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's the job. And so, yeah, so you go down, you check on your artist, you make sure that uh, everything's cool, you know, and then is, uh, does anybody need anything? And then, you know and then you have to if you've got a list of people that want to come back um given to you by the security or if you already knew you were doing this or if there's people coming back to uh just whatever for whatever reason you have to maintain the the backstage area and make sure that 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 doesn't get out of control make sure you got a security guy you know um it gets fun back there certainly it gets gets fun you see with the as people tour more and more, they just, they do that kind of thing in a separate area and they love to keep their backstage area, just nice, clean and quiet, you know, it's kind of like your, because it's just sort of like your room for the day, you know?
0: No green rooms are, they can make or break the event. Yeah, <laughs> when you're, when, <laughs> when you're having to talk to the, the promoter or your contact at the venue, do you have like a direct line to them at all times or how, like, let's say, let's say the show comes to a close and you need more ice or something like, how do you find the person that you need quickly? So that you're not like, yeah. you know, running around what, what's your, what's the general approach to that?
1: Yeah. Um, so usually the event, the venue has a runner. Um, and there's a backstage person that's responsible for getting everything that you're you need. So that person is usually very close by when the show ends and, and that's where they should be. If they're not, They're just not doing their job right. Sometimes you got them on radio. If it's a big enough tour that you're carrying your own because you're sick of all these, trying to explain to all these other people what it is you're trying to do. And plus the the, tour is big enough where it necessitates that person. And then they're doing wardrobe and they're getting kind of the rooms always set up, you know, before the band comes in, that kind of thing. It depends, you know, there's still those, those are the tours where you've got more than one bus, you've got the A party, party c party and another bus and things kind of move differently and there's more moving parts but um yeah so after the show um you just check in on the guys make sure they're okay and then you're at, at that point you're on the clock and you're trying to not be the last person out of the building because you have to wait until everything's counted uh, and the last thing that's counted is merch because merchandise is selling out front until the last person leaves that wants to buy something because that is your bread and butter. And if venues are taking a cut, well, then you've you got to wait for your merch person to, to get it all dialed in. And then that number can be added to the settlement. And prior to that, though, you can be issued a pre-settlement. And pre-settlement gives you an opportunity to sit in your office with the door closed and look over all the numbers on the day. And if nothing jumps out at you, um, you're, you're just waiting for the merch numbers and you're all good to go. And if at some point something jumps out at you, um, you either A, make the decision to call your booking agent um, if it's severe um, and that you think you feel that's your, your, your best move. Um, or you can bring it up with the promoter rep who oftentimes isn't the promoter. Because it's late at night and the promoter's been enjoying himself at the show the whole time and he's left his his friend to uh to have me sign the paper, you know. <laughs> so uh at that point you you can basically, you know, circle something uh and say, you know, what is this? You know, this is you know not agreed upon. And then you just you scan it <laughs> in your giant scanner, and uh you send it to your Your agent. So they can have a look at it Uh, more and more the tour manager responsibility in all of that. It just isn't there, you know, because you're not, it's sort of just so unsavvy uh, to run your business in a, in that way that where you're cheating out bands and stuff that you're just, you're going to get had. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work.
0: Yeah. word, Word spreads pretty quickly of those places um i think in in the summer before we went out with you guys we were at a a small venue somewhere in the middle of nowhere and the band that we were paired up with uh ran into an issue with the promoter and something shady and so we were told like don't push anything off of the trailer until we get this settled out you know and thankfully it happened before not afterwards (laughs) and it all worked out you know but i guess that that place had sort of a reputation for that Mm, so I was grateful wow. that they they knew about that you know ahead of time. So
1: yeah, that's amazing. Yeah,
0: well, time is flying by, and I want to get through a couple of other things here. Um, so let's jump real quickly over to international dates where you're not driving. Uh, you've got a show in Brazil or you've got a show in Europe. What are some of the biggest differences when you're preparing for intercontinental travel? What are, what are you doing that's wildly different?
1: Yeah. Well, you're going to a bunch of places where you know the money's different sizes, <laughs> and there's crazy languages that maybe you haven't heard before. Um, uh, so essentially, you're just trying to plan ahead in 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 all actions. So you're I mean, you, you ask yourself the question, will I need the currency while I'm there? is it, you know more and more uh, we talked about it, but w- there's you know, like a visa card of some kind that you can refill along the way i think it involves using your business manager to put it into the your all these separate accounts but in this way you stick it into the atm wherever you are and the whatever denomination of whatever money that you need it comes out so and that's fantastic so um but but more and more there's there's different ways of dealing with things i guess is what i'm getting at and so uh basically for international touring yours there's do you have to have a work visa? Do you have to have immunization? Yeah, I mean, there's, it's, there's not much else there, you know. <laughs> as long as you can get through the passport line, uh, you're through. It. Well, you, and you have to have your Carnet, you know, for all your equipment. Um, but I'm, but frankly, I'm traveling with the A party, so that's that's with the band and the that's with the crew. All right. <laughs> uh, I kid, I kid. Um, but yeah, so as long as you got those things going for you, and you know, in the EU, you don't have to have anything except now you know you have to have a, a visa for the uk but if you're a part if you're touring in the eu there's nothing nothing you have to nothing there so
0: when you tour like europe for example do you prefer having a bus or or do you do more like rail and stay in hotels or how do you get And i'm guessing then you also sort of rent equipment by region uh for like pa and lights and things like that or or the venue supplied if it's like club level But, um, Um, you know, what's your transportation preference?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I just, in 2019, I did a sprinter trailer, uh, tour in the UK. Um, and then we did like a fly out date to Paris where we basically, we left all of our equipment in the van at a friend's house, uh, kind of thing and flew off and then came back and, uh. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do it, but I mean, we had a really great time uh, this past time in a bus and you just basically source your equipment and your lighting and you get your bus driver to go and get it for you <laughs> and also return it for you. So uh, that's that's pretty much how that works. It's really pretty easy. The, the bus company, I mean, if you're getting a reputable bus company, they'll know um, all of the quirks of going to certain places and they'll tell you, um, you know, what's hard to do. You know, there's there's certain uh, places in Europe where, you know, automobiles aren't allowed. There's a green space. And so sometimes they'll allow for vehicles to come in but only on certain days of the week, certain times of the day. So it's really interesting, you know, you gotta get your bus in there. And then of course, you know, there's people that don't do their job and then there's no cones in the street. And so there's cars everywhere and there's your bus drivers, you know, not happy. Not happy because they just want to stop and they want to go to bed and uh,
0: yeah. Oh, speaking of cones, uh, was it the Gramercy in New York where you just sort of like have to fend for yourself to try and park out front and it's downtown Manhattan? <laughs> and I mean, how many? T- I've gotten
1: more tickets out in front of the Gramercy. Ah, oh, yeah, man. I, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't be so mean to the Gramercy, but I mean that that. I mean, I, just the officers out there the the, the the shit they say to you on the street, and you're just like, man, you know I'm carrying the guitars here, right? you know what do you, how do you want me to do this faster? you know what
0: I love New York, but it is uh, quite often an impatient and uh, unforgiving place. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the grammars i I really did enjoy it that was a great venue, uh, but oh, yeah. man, the parking. And the load in and just like playing the lottery hoping that a spot would be available and oh yeah it is let's quick get in and get out and oh man yeah uh that's a whole nother episode though we can we can uh <laughs> riff on that so trying to put a bow on this here um okay. what uh did you do any of the drive-in dates that panther did last year uh, no. they, i know that you didn't you weren't working then no um
1: basically with panther uh joe lester who's a friend of mine from high school we were in our first the band that band that played green Manalishi. yeah joe lester was in that band with me we were 15 years old we played a lot of heavy metal together he got me down to la to be in freak power ticket with uh darren householder and ray luzier and uh it was an awesome band uh and i owe joe a lot of that stuff But anyway, Joe got me this job because we both went to school together and he knew, anyway, I've known these guys since this place, FM station, uh, Filthy McNasty's. And and it was like the last place where heavy metal was still going when I got down there. But uh, Joe basically is their full-time like tour manager, I would say. And I'm kind of their road manager when we do the longer runs when they need a guy.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. It also plays nicely with all of the different hats that you get to wear. It uh, it feels consistent. So, what are you hearing or seeing for 2021? Are you uh, you got any nothing coming up or anything Zero. coming up? Zero.
1: Zero. We had uh, I had just a wonderful year in 2019 and 2020. I had Chai, which is an all-girl band from Japan. They just signed to Sub Pop recently, so I'm going to see more of them when they come up here but that won't be until 2022. And then all the Steel Panther stuff is for me is probably not going to happen until 2022, but it's, you know, it's starting to come back a little bit. So it's just going to be a while before we get that full tour thing happening.
0: Yeah. In full disclosure, we are recording this on April 20th, 420 day. 420, dude. <laughs> uh, so it, people uh if you want to re relive and re celebrate the date uh just pretend it's 420 when you're listening to this well uh i, could, I, could,
1: I could, we got i got we have a soundtrack to 420
0: That <laughs> uh, it didn't work it's it did.
1: i haven't used that in a while but <laughs> I'll, I'll insert
0: I'll insert some uh like bubbling noises <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's Seattle
1: after all steve i mean it's been We've got more products up here than you can you can. Imagine. You got shops there in uh, Wisconsin?
0: Not to my knowledge. I don't think uh, anything has uh, been legalized or passed. Uh, I think it's been sort of decriminalized in Madison. But um, so yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's Wistucky a lot of times. You know, we're behind <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> but you have spotted cow. Oh, your and? memory is outstanding. Yes. Oh
1: yeah, man, that was you know wisconsin there's a special place in my heart for wisconsin i love the beer and then all the german sausage stuff that i experienced um it's just outstanding it's world-class it's
0: unbelievable it's it's not all bad (laughs) but yeah so uh for us what we're seeing is just weekend festivals um that's where i was going with the the discussion there was um you know we're i think we've got some stuff coming up in july and august and september And then my fingers are crossed that people continue to vaccinate and, you know, be respectful and and stay safe. And hopefully the pandemic gets put behind us and then I can hang out with you on the road again.
1: That would be awesome, Steve. That (laughs) would be so much fun. I'd love to do that again. Oh,
0: it's yeah. If I would love to, too. You're you're a a real pro uh, when it comes to tour management and just really fun to hang out with and, you know, learn from. And I really appreciate your time on the podcast today. So maybe we'll uh, wrap up here and, and call it good.
1: Yes, sir. Sounds awesome. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Steve. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being on. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you soon.
1: All right, man. Peace.
0: And that's a wrap on this episode of Mixmasters. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend. Or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves Soundgrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music, and until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.